Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Dr. Brett Wells about split views on vaccination and how data should inform how company leaders approach getting their employees back to work. Brett Wells, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Hey, thanks, Jonathan. It's a pleasure to be here again. Yeah, I'm excited to have this conversation with you. And for the listeners, uh, we actually recorded a couple of weeks ago, and then I ended up having problems with the file, and uh, it was corrupted, and so I wasn't able to use it. And so we had to reschedule uh, to redo the interview and continue the conversation. So that's what we're doing today. Brett was kind enough to reschedule and we're going to be talking today about COVID-19, vaccinations, and using data when planning to get our people back to work. And Brett Wells does a lot of research in this area. Uh, Brett, as we get started, I just wanted to share your bio with everybody. Dr. Brett Wells is the Director of People Analytics at Perceptics Inc., helping clients connect the dots between their people data and business outcomes to make better decisions. For over the past 10 years, Brett has served as a consultant to leaders at Fortune 500 companies, including Amazon, ExxonMobil, AT&T, Citigroup, Delta Airlines, Estee Lauder companies, uh, and so forth, aiding in the creation and implementation of people analytics strategies and solutions. Brett received his PhD in social and industrial organizational psychology from Northern Illinois University, a recognized thought leader on emerging workforce trends, employee listening, and people analytics. He has published over 40 peer-reviewed journal articles, book chapters, and conference papers, most recently on data visualization in the Cambridge Handbook of Technology and Human Behavior. What a tremendous background. It is truly a pleasure to have the opportunity to talk with you today. And as we discussed last time, uh, and the, the listeners didn't get a chance to actually hear, um, it's, it's really fun, you know, talking with people that have similar types of backgrounds. Um, you have the scholar practitioner orientation and background. That's something that I try to foster as well. Um, and in our disciplines are close cousins. So you're IO psych, I'm uh, organizational sociology, and there's a lot of overlap there. Um, in, in what both of us do in terms of our academic research, but also in terms of our practitioner work, our consulting work. So it's a pleasure to have a conversation with a close cousin. Yes, we uh, are indeed across the, the lines. And by R&D, I mean rip off and duplicate. So we do <laughs> quite a lot of overlap uh, between sociology and uh, the study of leadership over there and then how that transcends into IO and social psych. So it's one big happy family in that social sciences. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I actually, I, I teach and I research in a business school. So that brings the connection and the overlap even closer um, because so much of what I do nowadays uh, is in the, the uh, social psychology realm anyways, um, you know, pushing the envelope of what I did in my PhD. So anyways, lots of fun. Uh, great to, to have this conversation with you. Um, before we really launch into the discussion, anything else you would like to share by way of background or personal context for listeners? Uh, no, I just I'll just share that I absolutely love what I do every day. It's it's great to to go into an organization where you're passionate about the mission and what we're doing and really helping clients. And you know, at the end of the day, it's all very much purpose driven and helping to make the world of work uh, just a better place for everyone by listening to employees and acting on that feedback. And now during uh, 2020, it's uh, more important than ever before. And going into 2021, the to really listen to employees, understand their concerns and uh, and anxieties and, and uh, the burnout and everything that we're facing and and try to make it uh, as, as best as we can. Yeah, absolutely. And the employee experience, I think, is so essential for any successful organization, uh, especially if we're talking about success beyond the short term. If we're looking for long term, long term sustainable uh, success, productivity, and innovation, you, you have to support your people, you have to listen to your people, you have to create a safe environment where they can speak up, um, all of these types of elements that, you know, I talk with guests on the podcast about all the time. Now, your expertise, I mean, in, in addition to, you know, the, the areas that you just mentioned, uh, which you clearly uh, have a lot of expertise in, I know recently you've been doing a lot of work in relation to COVID-19 and the vaccinations and, and the data around that. Um, in, in wide-scale surveys and in talking to different companies to better understand how they're grappling with it and what, you know, really what the, uh, the attitudes are about employees around um, getting vaccinated, returning to work, and those sorts of things. What can you tell us by what you've been finding uh, so far? Yeah, so first I'd say that many companies have changed their listening strategies as we've been thrown so many curveballs with the pandemic and social injustice and uh, what I would say, maybe a little context. So at Perceptics, we work with uh, roughly 30% of the Fortune 100, 20% of the Fortune 500 organizations. So you know, multifaceted, large enterprises with big footprints and have complex problems. And what we've seen is still today, those organizations, about 90, 95% of them do an annual census survey. So that one or twice a year, we're going to canvas the entire organization and ask questions to help drive decision making for leaders and make that employee experience better. What we've learned though with all these curveballs is more and more organizations are adopting a more frequent listening strategy. So uh, just in the course of the pandemic, we've collected nearly uh, 1 million data points uh, from 1 million respondents and, and across uh, all these different organizations because they wanted timely data to make better decisions going forward. So that's been certainly a, a large change that, that I've seen in terms of just how listening strategies change through the pandemic. Organizations are asking far more uh, frequently and more in the moment. And gone are the days of asking questions like I'm happy at work. You can't really do much with that, but you can when it's very actionable. So I think of how onboarding uh, experiences have changed. It's like, have you met with your manager uh, the first day you're on the job? 
Uh, that's something that's actionable. If you're seeing that a large percentage of your new hires aren't meeting with their managers, that's something you can act on to improve that experience. Or they've been given a stretch assignment within the first 30 days uh, to really stretch their thinking uh, within the new role. Like So a variety of things can be actioned. And that's where I think leaders are going far more towards uh, as opposed to the traditional, uh, you know, I'm happy at work, I've got a friend at work, uh, uh, these things that aren't really actionable and don't provide a lot of value to leaders. Like, what do I do now? I, I kind of get a sense of it's good or bad, but what do I do next? What do I do now? Yeah, that well, that's that's interesting. And several of the, the elements that you just referred to, I recognize as part of the, the Gallup Q12 instrument. Um, as well as probably many other satisfaction and attitude surveys, right? Sure. Um, and so, you know, I, I'm, I'm curious, what, what do you replace those types of questions with to get more yeah. at the actionable elements? Yeah, I, so I, I think those items are great. Uh, and there's a lot of research, you know, meta-analyses by, I believe, Hunter and Schmidt, you know, the grandfathers of, of meta-analysis that show that those items predict important outcomes. Where it falls short is how do you act on those? And that's where I think the antecedents of those things really come into play. So what does it mean to be happy at work? Well, it means I have a manager who cares, that I have career and development opportunities, that, and the laundry list goes on and on. And you can see what are the levers that really affect one's satisfaction and engagement, going above and beyond the role uh, and affect important business outcomes, productivity, turnover, uh, profitability, all those things matter to businesses, but it's really getting at what are the drivers of engagement? What are the barriers that are getting in the way of engagement? Let's focus on those, which are far more actionable than the traditional questions that you see in these composite engagement items. And we even have those composites too at Perceptix. We've got, just as the Gallup has their Q12, we've got our standard that, yeah. uh, that touch on similar areas, but it's hard to act on those. We look instead at what are the drivers of those, which ultimately affect outcomes. Yeah, well, that that's great, and I, I notice the the evolution of this research, right? Because um, you know, two three decades ago, it was all about employee happiness and satisfaction, and then it started to shift towards employee engagement and employee experience, and now we're we're continuing to see the shift more towards these actionable driver elements of of what can leaders actually do, like in the real world day-to-day, -day, you know, what can they do each and every day to make a difference in the lives of their people? And so that's that's excellent that um, that's your approach. And uh, that's definitely what organi the organizations of today need, uh, yeah. I think, to, to improve moving into the future. And one last thing, Jonathan, I'd mention is where most organizations see struggle and heartache is on the action planning process. Uh, it's not the number of questions or the frequency um, but when you look at the literature, like where organizations fall short and struggle the most is action planning. And I think it's because action planning gets in the way of action taking. So another shift that I've seen is organizations putting far more value on taking action and disseminating uh, information to managers much quicker. So that delay that used to be months during the pandemic, that got shortened down to, to days, if not hours in some cases. And managers could see at their fingertips, here's the one, two, or three things that I should do. Pick one of them. Then two, do two things about it. And here's some ideas of what you can do. And three, commit to meeting with your team three times to discuss these, these issues. That has gone 
to tremendous lengths of improving the experience. Uh, organizations that have followed this, because there's such variety and variation in our database and clients that are doing that to the best they can, and those that are just, uh, so to speak, inching into that way of thinking, those that are at the leading edge, they're 10 times more likely to demonstrate significant gains in their employee experience and those metrics that we've already talked about than organizations that are just going through the motions of asking questions and having that long delay and not really acting on the data. Right, and, and that's what I've experienced also uh, in some of my own consulting work is half the battle is getting them to take the, the data and the, the, the analysis of that data, the responses from their people and then actually actioning, uh, actually acting on it, right? Yeah. Um, taking it and, and not just looking at it and holding a meeting and talking it over. Um, this is something that we were actually just experiencing at my university um, just in the last month or so is, you know, we're part of this annual best places to work in higher ed survey mm -hmm. that most universities do. And, and they were, holding their annual meeting to discuss, you know, the upward or downward trends across a lot of these different attitudinal variables. And the reality is they, they really don't do much because of it. Um, and they're not, I don't say that to point a finger at the university. I think that's like not atypical for organizations to get the data, kind of talk it over, and then they just shelve it and then they move on. And yeah. so the point is we need to get past that. We need to actually leverage the data and leverage the information to make informed decisions that will improve the situations of everyone around us. I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press, The Alchemy of Truly Remarkable Leadership ordinary everyday actions that produce extraordinary results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years with increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition. The average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we get too enamored by benchmarks and where do we stack rank against others that we're competing against for, for talent or students, you know, in your case. And Instead, it's where's our most pressing challenges? Let's put some action on those and you'll see everything else cascade and follow. Yeah, so absolutely. Far more of that internal focus versus external. Yeah, so, so let's talk a little bit more about the vaccines and, and getting people back to a physical workspace. You've, you've surveyed you know, a million people, you have all this data. What have you been finding? Yeah, so interestingly, there were some... Uh, some things that took me by surprise. 
So I was thinking, and this is my own bias going into it, that the vaccines were this glimmer of hope at the end of the tunnel. We're all looking forward to the days of getting back to work um, and what that'll entail. But when we ask employees, what are the list of safety measures that make you feel safest going back? And we ask them to project about, well, what about getting the vaccine or if every employee got the vaccine and mask wearing ranks number one still, followed by social distancing and frequent uh, sanitizing, cleaning, and then finally the vaccine. So despite us all thinking this is a glimmer of hope, um, it's not necessarily any stronger than the measures that are already in place. And you know, secondly, we see that across our research and even like Pew Research Center and a variety of others that are asking uh, just Americans their plans to get vac vaccinated, somewhere between 50 and 70%, depending on which poll you're looking at and how you're sampling is, is what we're finding. But organizations can go a long way to helping to incentivize their employees. So one, just recommending that employees get vaccinated does uh, a large uh, impact. About one in 10 more people will go get vaccinated just as a result of that. And then you layer on these small incentives. So giving off time of work or even just a small monetary incentive increases that employee's likelihood. One of the final surprises that I saw was that uh, essential workers were actually the least receptive to getting the vaccine. And it, I thought like, geez, here, here are these people going in every day to work, putting themselves in harm's way. I think they would be the ones lining up at the front lines to, to get that vaccine. But kind of diving in and at least our hypotheses around it, they've already um, found out ways to be safe by the mask wearing, social distancing, frequent cleaning that have kept them, their families safe. And while the vaccine is probably um, welcomed by open arms, like people like me, not essential workers that are working and living in the basement, um, for those essential workers, they this is a, a nice to have, and they've already found strategies and ways to make this work in the real world. So that was another surprising effect that essential workers are, are at least telling us that they're less likely to, to wanna to get that vaccine. Yeah, interesting. <clears throat> Excuse me. And have you seen this any shift over time? I mean, we, we've now been in the middle of this for what, 10, 11 months. Um, yeah. How, is, how, how has this yeah. changed in terms of public yeah. perception? You know what I would say, the biggest thing that I think has changed, uh, at least from some recent research that we've been looking at is one's receptivity to want to go back to the office. So at the beginning of, of the pandemic, people wanted to go back. They were missing it. And as we kind of got towards the summer, more and more people wanted to keep working from home. So less than 5% wanted to go back to the physical workplace full time. Today, that number has shifted to a little higher than 30%. So I think the allure of working from home for the rest of your life has, uh, has worn off. Many people want a hybrid model. And when we ask that hybrid, how many days would you want to go back to the office? Uh, we're finding that women want to stay uh, more days at home, working from home. And you think of how this pandemic has affected them, especially working mothers at, at a much different uh, way than working fathers. So we found that working fathers have expressed more stress 
uh, in their responses and it's taking a toll on them. Uh, but women, uh, we're seeing that they're exiting the workforce at, at faster rates. They want to take pauses. They're, they're playing so many roles and wearing multiple hats. They're, um, they're the, the worker, they're the mother, they're the teacher, they're the short order cook. Like they're having so many order, uh, these hats that they have to wear during the day that we're seeing that's taking a toll. And especially in, you know, for women in leadership positions, it's incredibly taxing right now. So I think uh, many of us will want that hybrid model um, going forward. And you know, that's only gonna incur uh, additional business problems to solve for in terms of how big does our office need to be? How do we need to distance people? Uh, do we need to close offices? Do we need to open more offices? So there's all these economic and business decisions that have to be made. Uh, and uh, there's no better way to figure that out than actually ask your employees what their preferences are, because we do see differences by gender, industry, age. I mean, you name the demographic, there are slight differences. So understanding more about what your people want is far more important than kind of getting a brushstroke uh, cursory review of, of you know, our research. It, it'll point you in the right direction, but there's no better data than asking your own employees. Well. Uh, absolutely. And and we have to be really careful to just assume um, that we understand where they're coming from. Um, and as you just mentioned, there's a lot of ways to slice your data and you do see differences across groups. But even within those groups, you know, they're not a monolith. And so people yeah. <laughs> have their own unique situations and their own unique um, attitudes and desires. And so there's really no substitute for just a manager getting to know their people and understanding their needs and their situation. And, you know, to the extent possible that an organization can actually just provide accommodation um, in, an, in a flexible way, uh, dependent on the needs of, of a particular employee, I think is, is ideal, but it does, you know, raise challenges. How do you effectively manage a remote team or a, a half remote team and a half in-person team um, and make sure everyone feels a part of, of what you're doing and, and that the creativity can flow? I mean, all of this brings with it complexity. And I think about the physical space issue, like you said. Um, again, I know it's a little bit different talking specifically within, within higher ed, but at my university, um, that's something that we're wrestling with. Unlike many universities across the nation, just due to the demographics in our area, we continue to grow um, five mm -hmm. to 7% student enrollment growth every year for like the last decade. And even with the pandemic, we're not really seeing that slow down. And so, um, you know, the, the physical space has always been an issue in terms of classrooms and in terms of adding more faculty and more faculty offices. And then all of a sudden the pandemic hits and overnight classes go online, right? And now we're the whole campus, this whole physical campus is sitting virtually empty. And most of the time I work from home for the past year, but every now and then I go into campus and it's a ghost town, like nobody's there. <laughs> and so it, it raises this question, like all of these expensive buildings um, that we've been building as fast as we possibly could because of this continued growth and moving into the future where more online courses will become more normal, more live streaming courses will become more normal. I'm sure there will be many students anxious to get back to the physical classroom when, you know, when possible. But, you know, in the interim, it does raise the question, how much of this space do we need? And I think of just for the employees, so many, like most of the employees, both staff and faculty are working from home right now. And there's all this office space. 
So if, if I get really comfortable with this idea of like, I, I love working from home, it's flexible, I'll go into campus when I need to, otherwise I'll just work from home, but I have a dedicated office, you know, on campus, and then you multiply that by, you know, a thousand faculty, that's a ton of wasted space, right? And so that now they're having all these discussions about work from home agreements and shared office spaces, and they're trying to figure out all that. And, you know, there's no easy answer to it. And it's also, I think, to, to your point earlier, you know, my attitude has probably shifted over time, you know, over the last month, the, the last 11 months, I'm sure other faculty, other staff have as well. And that's just one organization, right? Multiply yeah. that by all of the companies, <laughs> all of the employers across America, across the world who are wrestling now with this, um, you know, do we need people there in person? Uh, if we have a flexible hybrid model, how do we implement that fairly? Um, how do we give people the flexibility and accommodations they need while also meeting the business needs of the, of the company? You know, th th these are answers we don't have quick and easy answers. These are questions we don't have quick and easy answers right. to, um, but they, we definitely need to ask the questions and then listen carefully. And you bring up a good point that I think deserves to be repeated, and that's that perceptions can change and do change often. So as uh, just as organizations want new data to make better decisions, us as decision makers, uh, as we have new experiences and more data is flowing in and uh, we can change our perceptions as well. And uh, that's the importance of continuing to ask and respond. It's, uh, it's this nice uh, game of Marco Polo <laughs> that I call it, where um, you ask a question, you're gonna get a response and you try to get a little bit closer to that desired target. And that's why you keep asking, otherwise you're never gonna catch the other person in the pool, so to speak. So with that, it's, it's important to continuously ask and respond. The downside, or I guess the, not necessarily the downside, but the only recommendation I would give is ask as frequently as you can respond. Uh, what we do see across our clients, time tested, uh, is that if you continue to ask questions and don't respond, well, participation rates drop dramatically. And implicitly, you're telling your employees that you don't value their, their voice, their opinions, you're not acting on those data. But if you connect the dots for employees, we're asking these questions because here are the challenges we're gonna face. Here's the direction we're going. Now let us know how's this working. Here's how we pivoted. It's, it's important not just to ask, analyze and make decisions, but you really have to connect the dots for employees. That's really gonna drive participation. And that's far more of the organizational effectiveness, um, organizational development side. I, I spend my time far more on the mathematical and analytical side, but then people have to put it into practice and really see the benefits of, of all those analytics. Uh, otherwise, it's just gonna die on the vine and participation rates drop. You don't really see any improvements in that employee experience. Yeah, absolutely. And it just helps generate more buy-in, um, and more connection between the employees. And as you mentioned, nobody wants to take a survey if they think nothing's gonna happen with it. And, and employees can get pretty cynical pretty fast. So if you're not being open and transparent, you're going to be setting a negative tone at exactly the moment where you need more openness, more communication, more listening, uh, more collaboration. So I, exactly just reiterating what you just said, we need to make sure that we are absolutely uh, focusing on not only listening, but then 
feeding back and sharing with um, our people to help them understand how what they shared has impacted things. Well, Brett, it has been a real pleasure talking with you. We could go on and on, and perhaps I could have you back again on a future date to talk about more of the research that you're doing and some of the trends that you see, not just in relation to COVID and vaccinations or hybrid work models, but really uh, you're doing such fascinating work. I would love to have you back. Um, before we close today, though, any um, final thoughts that you have, and would you mind sharing with listeners how they can get connected with you, find out more about your business, and uh, anything else that you'd like to share in closing? Yeah, well, first, I'd love to come back. Um, this has been a great conversation. You know, I would say stay tuned for two research studies that we have coming down the pipe. So one is our second study in partnership with Josh Burson Academy, and we're focusing on over 80 business practices, which ones really drive diversity, equity, and inclusion. So that's, that's um, exciting. That's coming out this month in February. Um, uh, the one punchline I'll, I'll tell you, one of the most important, the most important factors is listening and responding to employees. So everything that we talked about today cascades over into the DE&I space. Um, secondly, we're rethinking HR this year with 2020 throwing so many curveballs. 2021 is to a way to get that blank sheet of paper and focusing more on business problems. And one area that's been disrupted heavily is onboarding during pandemic. So people still have to hire uh, new employees. And we're doing a deep dive in terms of which practices really matter, uh, both from the employer side, as well as a candidate side. Because often those expectations and the desires aren't necessarily matched. So we're gonna kind of pit both against each other and study that. Um, and then I'd love to, to connect with your listeners. Uh, you can reach me on LinkedIn, uh, just search for Brett Wells. Uh, you can reach my email at, at bwells at perceptics.com, just spelled like perceptics right there. And please follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter uh, at Perceptics. And you can go to our website and see a lot of the, the research studies that we talked about today and a whole list of many more that we didn't get time to talk about. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Brett. It has been a real pleasure. I really encourage listeners to reach out, get connected with Brett, get connected with Perceptics, find out more about the research and what they can do for you. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. We are excited about the launch of HCI's new magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free interactive e-magazine designed to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We will be publishing issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Check out the first issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.